Ready when you are, big buddy. It's recording. Hi, I'm Luke Campbell, and I work for a small wine company, and he's Luke Morris, and... I'm sitting next to a bottle of Henschke, um Coonerton Estate. You've got to say Coonerton. That's the correct way of saying it, I'm told. Uh, 2005. I'm going to drink that tomorrow. And together, we are Luke's Talk Wine. We will be talking about all things wine and booze, some popular culture. Think about some. when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day, Campbell. What's been going on? Oh, you know, I'm just really trying to drink quality over quantity more over. But uh, you've got your life wrong. That's that's not the way to do it. Maybe if you if you if you can't remember or you're oblivious to what you're drinking, what does the quality matter? <laughs> Welcome, good afternoon to you, Luke Morris, <laughs> and good afternoon to the listening audience, or good evening, or good night, whatever the time may be where you're listening. This is episode eighteen. A great sleep podcast. Do you, is that what you're imagining? Good night, everyone. Turn on your podcast and listen to these two. Put you to sleep. <laughs> episode eighteen, season two. Coming at you, folks. So, as with every podcast every week, we have a topic and we have a listening question, listening audience, listening question from the audience is what we have. I'm trying to say, let me get that out for you. But this week's topic is routines when drinking or slash those guilty pleasures, guilty drinking pleasures. And a listener question which came across our desk earlier in the week, Eloise from Lane Cove in Sydney on the North Shore. She writes, I've just rewatched Sideways. What oh. is your guys' favourite wine films? Um, ooh, that's a doozy, actually. Um, but we'll get to that a bit later in the show. But as always, every week when we start <laughs> our podcast, this week, Luke Morris, what's been happening in your wine world this week, pal? Oh, well, I've got, I'm, going, I'm going to catch up with a friend and have red and roast tonight, tomorrow night. Um, and so I pulled out the Keenerton to take. Mm-hmm. Um, the Henschke Keenerton was a blend, was it not? It's a B- Cabernet blend? Correct me if I'm wrong. You say it was. Are you telling me this no longer exists? I, I actually I don't, I don't know. I'm just I'm referring to it in the past tense because I had it in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, I suppose everything is in the past. It's very hard to be present, yes. unless you're currently drinking, <laughs> which is usually the case. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Um, yeah. So, okay, have a stab. How's your, how's your memory cells? Um, what are the grape varietals that are in the? It is a blend. Give us give us the grapes. I reckon you get you get a few Cabernet. Cabernet has to be in any sort of blend, really, doesn't it? Shiraz. Oh, yes. Cabernet and Shiraz, yes. Malbec. No. Merlot. Merlot, correct. And there's one other variety, which is not your standard run-of-the-mill Eden Valley variety from memory. It was always a great wine. It is all... Petite Verdot. Oh, nice stab. No, it's the oh. other. It's the other one. Carmenere. No, the <laughs> other one. The, the other white meat. Um, 
the other oh. Bordeaux grape. Yes, 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 yes. Um, <sighs> Cabernet Franc. There we go. Wow, what a blend. So um, I'm, uh, I'll read it in, in order. Shiraz, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot and Cabernet Franc. Um, mm. That'll be a fun little boy. 2005. How long do you reckon I should decant that for? I reckon not as long as you would think. Because it's, in a squeak, it's in a screw cap, by the way. Still, but in 05, so, you know, we're, we're looking at almost kind of tertiary kind of tones there. I, I wouldn't decant it for that long, actually. I'd open it and taste in it. If there was still a lot of fruit and it was secondary, I might decant it. But, I, you know... It may be in its tertiary life. I may not even decant it. Just stand it up for a couple of hours, knock the top yeah. off, and away you go. Yeah, I think you're on the money there. Mm-hmm. I think I might I might crack it when I'm at work to taste it, and there might be one or two people I share it with if there's anybody in the office because mm-hmm. going to the office these days is like, you know, getting COVID. It's, it's yes. so unpopular. Mm. But um, I'll... Uh, I might crack it while I'm there and uh, see what it's um, see what it's doing with its life. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Like they're all, always a great performer, always a great wine to age. It was always a you know blend between Eden and Barossa fruit, but um, delicious, deliciously good value drinking. I bet oh five, lovely. Oh yeah, well good value drinking. I think I well back in the back in the day, it was probably cost me somewhere around the forty dollar mark. I reckon. Yep. Um. Can't remember if I got this one at a wholesale price or not, but uh, which is crazy because I think forty dollars still sounds like a lot of money to spend on a bottle of wine. But then I think I have to keep reminding myself that if I go to a pub or anywhere, like it's twelve dollars for a glass of ten dollar wine. You know, all the all you have to do is buy four glasses of wine, and you've spent well over the amount of one bottle of Henschke Keeneton. Yeah. So it's actually really good value spending forty, fifty dollars on a bottle. Yeah, and, and and in those days it would have been top top of the pops. Well, like nowadays that that'd be double the price. I haven't bought a Henschke wine in a long time, not through lack of trying. I just haven't had access to them. I haven't come across my tasting bench. But what mm. that that Kyneton what would be a sixty five dollar wine today? I'm guessing. That's a oh, pure gosh, maybe guess. I should just maybe I should just take it down to MW, buy myself two bottles of. Uh, what oh, would you get for forty dollars these what would, days? What would be the fun in that, Luke Morris? Just oh, uh, there's no, no no fun in that. That's all. Yeah. Like, wine, wine needs to be fun. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Wine's fun. We're drinking agriculture. Have a go. Yeah, stuff it. Maybe we'll just crack it now, and I won't bother with tomorrow's. <laughs> And we'll just we'll just have smell and taste division for our listeners. They can just listen to a tasting note. <laughs> That's a great idea. Many people read them. I hate those. Anyway, hey, yeah. Here's here's a question. Red and roast night. I'm going to crack this. Mm. What's one more grape variety? What's one more thing I should take? Um, maybe take something a little softer as a little bit of a a, a, a cleanser, a tweeny. So take a you know something other than a Cabernet, so something softer. I know you love Tempranillo. You could take a, a, a Pinot or even all Hello, dun, dun, dun. you could take a Grenache. Yeah, okay. I think I've got – I'm just thinking of what's accessible and what I have to move around under a, a, a set of stairs to get into. So I might just grab the Pinot. Hmm. Good thinking. Start off light, finish heavy. 
to whom. Yeah, and I don't that, know. See, I just, yeah, oh, this is one of those things that once you crack it, it's just like, I don't really want to eat anything with this. I just want to drink this. Meal can be put on hold. I'm just going to enjoy the wine. <laughs> Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. Well, that leads in to this week's topic really well, Luke Morris, and that is what are your routines when drinking or slash guilty pleasures? Because I've got one for you. Yeah. As a, as a sommelier, you know, like my under under all the bravado and the carry on, I really love the story about wine. But if I'm at home and I've taken the phone off the hook and I've drawn the curtains and I've got no kids running around and the football's not on and my wife's out of town, I love getting sounds really yeah, okay. I love getting <laughs> the hottest, spiciest kind of nachos slash tacos, Mexican bean things and try to match it with wine this is my guilty pleasure i cook i cook the mince and i make everything from scratch roll out a tortilla or whatever and uh make them to my specs sometimes if i'm feeling really adventurous i'll do that whole enchilada thing and bake them in the oven and get really into it oh wow then i try yeah okay yeah yeah yeah. and then i pull it out and set up my favorite tv show or movie whatever i'm watching at the time and try and pair that to a wine. And this has been my guilty pleasure over some, well, I won't say a whole decade, but a, a long time. And I have had a go. I've tasted it with Austrian Grunewald Liners. I've tasted it with Beechworth Rosés. I have gone, circumnavigated the, the world from South African Pinotage to New Zealand Merlot, trying to find a match for this chilli enchilada bean and cheese dish which is so good and has a whack of spice in it to a wine. And that's kind of my dream, my well, dream, my routine when I'm drinking. And it's a bit of a guilty pleasure. I really enjoy doing it. I know it's a kind it of fruitless. more like a routine when you're cooking. Well, it's a, fr- it's a, it's a fruitless, <laughs> it's a fruitless task because you're never going to be able to match something. But I hate, oh. I, I really hate being beaten. So, um, yeah, I, but I see, keep the trying. problem is that I think you're I think you're trying to shove a round peg into a square hole. Which, Ooh. funnily enough, when I was young, I remember having to play that game, and I realised that the blocks we were given was just a bit narrow, so I could just turn them on their side and slide them in. And it was like, what do you mean it fits? What? What? <laughs> no, no, you're supposed to make it fit. Okay, I was just twist it slightly, and then it goes round peg, square hole, easy. What are you talking to me for? <laughs> anyway. Um, what you're trying to do, so with food and wine matching for me, is I look at the country that the food is from and yep. what kind of wine that they match with their foods because, you know, over decades, generations, millennia, whatever you want to say, they've grown up to pair the things with what's around them. And Mexico and wine... No go. No. As soon as you started talking, I was like, have you tried tequila? Ooh. Like I know you've tried tequila. You've talked about getting drunk in Amsterdam on tequila before. But have you tried matching your Mexican spicy bean dish with um 
some uh, fruit of the guava or whatever it is. <laughs> fruit of the guava. <laughs> um, <laughs> fruit of the agave is agave. The there we go. Um, no, you're talking entirely too much sense. Sars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, in short, answer is no, but it is still a guilty, it's my guilty pleasure. It's not yours, Luke. Don't try and steal it. Uh, no, 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 I don't I like am, spicy food. I am on this eternal pursuit. So that's my guilty pleasure. You know, your some people's guilty pleasure is they might find the oldest bottle of wine in their cellar that they don't want to share and pull the cork on it. But do you have a, a, a routine when you're drinking or a guilty pleasure moreover? Uh no, I thought of a routine, like a, mm. a, a weird thing that I like to do. Um, if a bottle's got a cork and you pull the – so if it's uh, uh, got a capsule, break the capsule just around the, the rim or, yep. or the top as per normal. Mm. Uh, take the cork out pretty much as per normal. Put the corkscrew in, pull it out. And then, because I, I got told that this is what they used to do in rest in fancy restaurants, mm. use the capsule to wrap uh, as 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 a like a a tray almost that you can bend yep. onto the uh, one end of the cork, mm-hmm. so that you show the side of the cork that's got the that would have been in contact with the wine up, yep. and you place that next to the bottle, so that it presents as this is. This is fresh. This is direct. This is the quality of the storage conditions, um, and that sort of little flourish in presentation. I just every time I do it with any guests, they don't really care, mm. but I always think it's like this fun little present presentation that I stand next to my bottle of Rinderie or whatever it is that I'm trying to show off. I like it. That's a good routine. Hmm. I don't have any special glasses I use or anything like that. That's just a little. Is that you're the sommelier? Is that something that fancy pants restaurants did or do? Uh, both. So yeah, absolutely. It's not so much common anymore that you know they do. Well, there's not a lot of cork anymore. You know, corks yeah. no longer make up the majority of wines that you open. But, yeah, absolutely. Certainly when I worked in the UK and in Michelin-star restaurants, we always presented the cork, whether, as you say, like in the actual lid or whether we took off the uh, capsule at the top and cut a hole in that capsule and slid the cork through. The Italians do a lot of that. The French do it in the way that you mentioned. Um, Oh, so the Italians just try and slide the cork through the capsule. They do. They cut a hole before, before they present the wine. And they stand the wine up and they cut a circle uh, above the cork out and then they cut underneath the lip and they pull Why? the cork out and slide the cork through the top of the capsule. This isn't great podcast listening because there's no visuals. Um, no, no, but, no, no. Um, okay. You're painting a picture of your words, Campbell. Oh, That's what you're doing. Fantastic. If people were trying to go to sleep, they're getting that fantastic uh, scent. That's the whole point of counting sleep, uh, sheep to go to sleep. So you, your brain is distracted by thinking and imagining something else, and they're drifting off slowly with the joy of listening to your voice, Campbell. That's what's happening. Well, that's what happens, and that are the two different rituals from European <laughs> countries, one Italian and one French. 
Um, but yeah, you don't see it a lot anymore. But it's it, it's still light. It's it's still is, nice is it to go because, to see the cork. Is it is it is it exactly for that authenticity presentation purpose? Is that why they do it? Or? It's it's to to do it so as to keep the cork near the wine that you've opened, so as not to different not to mix them up. Ah, yeah, because I remember, yeah, there was this, um, I think it was, is it Michelle, um, what's the Rhone Valley producer, Grigal? Grigal, yes. Michelle Grigal came to some place I was working, and I, even though I set up like 90% of the events, probably more than that, 99% of events here, uh, this was one um event that i was like no 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 the the really important people have to set up this event because this is really important i was like okay you guys do it now and um Grigal was a little bit dis- annoyed because the um the corks were all sort of jumbled up and mm. he wanted them to be able to be placed and also specifically he wanted the cork that was potentially in contact with the wine to be the only cork that could go back into the bottle if they needed to, you know, uh, if there was wine left in that bottle and they would take it to someone else to do a tasting because he was quite adamant that, you know, which is true, Mm. you could have cork um, contamination from upside-down corks and all kinds of things. Yeah. He He was finicky about that. Finicky. Finicky. Hmm. I haven't used that word for a while. No, that's a that's a big word for a winter's afternoon, but I like it. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and so another another guilty pleasure of mine actually is to and, and you kind of harked up to it a little bit there earlier when mentioning your, your windery and, and the henchkey that you might have opened earlier. I always like to open, particularly if I'm going to share the bottle of wine with with guests or friends or even foes later on. I I, I want to open the wine first, but I love sneaking out that cheeky glass, um, just to one you know for make sure it's all right, two yeah. to check if it's um, not faulty. But it's often the one glass that you get and the moment to oneself to actually ponder the wine because you know as well as I do. Once the food starts coming out, and often, oftentimes the wine might get lost, whether it's between, oh yeah, you know. So it's nice to have that one cheeky glass in solace. I do kind of like that routine, um, just to really assess it. It's hard if you're going around to a friend's house and you don't want to be looking like a cheapskate because you've drunk half a bottle before you got there. <laughs> but it, it, it is quite cool to say, oh, well, I've just checked this wine um, before I got there. Nowadays, with you know, caravans and all, all manner of gadgets that we've spoken about on the show before, but it is nice to just have that little moment of solace with one glass and just think, oh, yeah, this is going to work well with the risotto or goat curry or whatever might be on the – what did you say? You're having roast dinner, so whatever's on the table. But that's a really lovely routine. and just That to, is nice to, yeah. to take that time. Hmm. Do, do you have – you ever because I've I've been in that situation before. We've had dinners where it's a sort of stop for a moment to think about the wine because it is bloody good. Yeah, you know, amidst all the uh, rabbiting on that we we do otherwise. <laughs> um, 
the stop for a second to look at the wine. And I remember someone doing a tasting and the, the owner of the business just wanted to chat all the time, but the guy who was running it was like, no, let's let the customers, let everyone just quiet for a moment and appraise. Yeah. Take a second. And that was cool. But I, I want to ask you a question. Mm. Do you ever taste wine if, while you're cooking and then change what you're cooking in, in terms of how the recipe comes together rather than or, or anything to, to try and suit the wine? Have you well, ever done the, that? The, 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 there's two different questions in there. Do I ever change a recipe? Never. I, oh, okay. I, I, cook, I cook it first. But the first, oh, okay. the, the first question you ask is, do I ever change the wine to match the food? So I'll pull out a wine, start the cooking process. It might be spaghetti bowl. And I get halfway through to the spag bowl and think, you know what, this Cabernet isn't going to go through very well with this spag bowl. So I turn it in, turn the spag bowl into a ragu or is that what you mean? Yeah, like, yeah that's yes, what I mean. I do do that. I do a little oh, bit of wow. that. Um, because, uh, yeah, I mean, I want to drink Cabernet with everything. Um, but sometimes it just won't go and it's, it is that square peg into a round hole. So I think I, I'm absolving you of your sins. I, I think you can change. You've got to be allowed. It's not like changing football teams, which you absolutely can't do. But you can change. You can change. The <laughs> you can't food. have a second team. You can't have a second team, but you can change your food to match the wine. Absolutely. Good. Mm-hmm. Well, that's odd. Yeah. Well, that's sort of the thing because I'm going to take a lamb roast tomorrow. I'm bringing the the lamb from uh, a farm, so it sounds like I'm fancy. I'm not really. I, I, a friend has a farm, and I got some lamb off them. But um, and so I bought this cabinet to go with it and there's that was the thing i was thinking when i asked you about what else should i take because i kept thinking oh i've got a few shiraz but if i take a shiraz i don't think it's really going to fit and i don't have like that backup plan of going to the cellar or cooking something else i'm sort of i've got the meat i've got the wine we're in two feet there's nothing else we can do buddy That's it. And conversely, if you if you arrive somewhere with a, a beautiful aged semillon because your host tells you they're making a seafood risotto or a scallop pie or something, and then you get there and they go, oh, we've just decided to do this wonderful yeah. Cumberland sausage. We're going out. Or, or we're going out or whatever. <laughs> and you think, oh, man, I've just selected this awesome wine that's going to go with that scallop pie and uh, we're going out for Chinese. It's really not going to work. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a real dislike for that. It just upsets my chi, Luke Morris. Oh, man. Wine chi. Wine chi. We should do an episode on wine chi. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. <laughs> no, see, I'm just imagining that. I'm just remembering a scenario where I'm just trying to think that I was invited around someone's place. This is true. Mm. I said, okay, I'll bring a couple of bottles of wine. I'll do a little bit of a tasting for you. It'll be great. And then we're going to go out to this gig. And uh, when I got there, I suddenly realized that the mood was not so much fun. Oh. And uh, only one part of the partnership came out to the gig <laughs> and i can oh. imagine that that scenario of like yeah we're going out for dinner you know and i'm just going and yeah we're okay let's just go and then it's like oh invited <laughs> someone's breakup <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> orcs <laughs> ah, at least we had wine 
Well, that's it. Uh, but yes, if people want to get in touch at lukestalkwine at gmail.com, send us your routines or guilty pleasures, guilty pleasures that surround wine because I think everybody kind of secretly has a routine when drinking, whether that's beer before wine and you'll be fine or whether that's oh. pull, the, pull the cork and have a glass before you take it somewhere or whether it's simply just trying to expertly match something time and time again like i've been doing for way too long because it is a little bit of fun with myself but up to you people who keep the corks and and make some sort of cork board or you have a big cork bean oh yeah like people it amazes me every time you'll get into a restaurant and you know there'll be a couple there on a tinder date and you crack the bottle of champagne for them and put it in the ice bucket and why the guy's talking the girl manufactures this like unicorn out of the, <laughs> out of the cage of the champagne i just find that amazing i can't do it myself but all, i've seen it happen so many times you know you get unicorns cage origami. Get, yeah, yeah yeah cage origami absolutely you get unicorns chairs like one one time on this tinder date when i was working at taxi here in melbourne actually this this lovely woman actually i don't know if they ended up leaving together it wasn't tinder in those days it would have been something else but she made this awesome electric guitar out of the cage i was like man <laughs> this is really well it wasn't electric obviously because you couldn't plug it in but it was in the shape of an electric guitar and i was like that is amazing that is a really amazing hidden talent you know like cage origami and i was like that is re- that, that, that should is- be at mona yeah, yeah maybe it should be but it was a really cool routine when drinking i've seen it a lot since not the guitar ever but I've seen, yeah, cranes, I've seen chairs, I've seen wow. unicorns, all manner of things. But uh, that, that that electric guitar, a taxi, that took the cake. Oh, um, I, I want to go to like a, a, a knitting group where all they do is drink champagne and play off the, the capsules. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do, they do um, you know, uh, what's it called? P- Pinot and portraits, where you go and you. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's taking off in a, in our neck of the woods, and guys and girls are you know strutting their artistic flair with a glass of Pinot in hand. It always sounds like fun, but um, I, I think I'd be more into the Pinot than the portraits. But um, sculpture and Shiraz. Yes, a little bit of that action, action, absolutely. Lambrusco um, uh, and live. Streaming, Eight. live streaming. No, I was thinking live portrait, live oh, right. and, uh, Nebbiolo and nudes. <laughs> Nebbiolo and nudes. Now, there's a go. I reckon we'd have a lot of people line up for that. Nebbiolo and nudes. Um, okay, this is this is another vent business venture. Everyone on the cards, right? Nebbiolo and nudes, inexplicable happiness, the hundred top 100 wines. Man, we're busy. We are busy, just like, would you believe it, Eloise from Lane Cove. She oh, has yeah, been no, busy. She might be retired. She has been busy. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Eloise has been busy watching Sideways. Do you remember that film? Yeah, um, she doesn't sound like she's busy if she's watching Sideways. <laughs> <laughs> she's been waiting, watching one of the top wine films of all time, Luke Morris. Yeah, okay. Uh, sideways for those <laughs> listeners amongst us, you might remember was that 2004 film that literally affected like the, the, the single handedly the sales of Merlot uh, in a, more ways than one. But it was kind of a, that was a shame, wasn't it? It was a shame, particularly for those of us who love Cabernet and their friends, Cabernet friends. 
But Sideways was the kind of funny, sad film that kind of it was a lot of people's first wine film in a way. It was kind of one of the first. I'm sure it wasn't one of the first motion pictures, but it kind of felt like it. Well, it was a, it was a, it was a wine film, but it was a it was a I was going to say a buddy cop film. It's not a cop film, but it's a couple. You know, uh, yeah. with the odd couple on a road trip. Yep, that's right. That's right. A road trip. They were that, going through that, the Napa or something, weren't they? Yeah, and that was one of the beautiful elements of it. Was just the it was a, a travel story. If uh, all the all the elements you need in a good story, time, pressure, and character development. If yeah. you want to get into that kind of stuff, but yeah, it's good. Good film. What is one of your top top wine films, Luke Morris? I can only think of uh, James Bond movies because uh, in terms of films that have made me drink wine, yeah, um, uh, Bollinger Le Grand Ooh. Um, even though I think in, in Bond actually drinks more Don Perignon in the books, um, every time I, I see, I used to be stopped a few years ago. Um, every time we go see a Bond movie, we'd go out and get a, we'd have a bottle of Le Grand Darnay and some fish and chips afterwards. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. There was a fun little tradition every couple of years or whatever it took. That would be awesome. Fish yeah. and chips after a Bond film sounds great, mate. Yes, deep fried scallop and a glass of Le Grand Darnay, 2003 or whatever it was at the time. Ah. Hmm. Sounds good. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna. I need to revisit the Bond films. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. They make you a bit peckish. I can't remember what the stats are, but he goes through quite a bit of alcohol in his um in the books, um, and in the films as well. <laughs> but yeah, like <laughs> the, the, the gun down there. Oh, there was the other one. Oh, there was. Yeah. yeah there's uh, there's other. Wines in those films. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something else. How about you? Have you got any f- film that's induced oh. wine consumption for you? Oh, the the Barolo Boys, um, which was the movie about all the you know original guys out of Barolo, um, kind of almost about you know several friends kind of start producing red wine in northern Italy, and you know their their, their families get involved and fast forward. 30 years their Barolo explodes and it's kind of a fascinating story of Barolo and how it becomes this worldwide phenomenon you know like and they go through traditional producers and modern producers and it's not a hugely long film but I remember when it came out it just made me want to drink those you know big bold tannic Nebbiolos and go there and which I've since done a couple of times and just you know drink those wines but now, now they've kind of Barolo as a sense as a as a region has has well and truly evolved it, and it's on the map um, now. But yeah, the Barolo it boys. It sound like the 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 explosion in desire for Barolo is a fairly recent thing. I thought it. Well, been the around. film the film came around. Well, in the scheme of things, compared to something like Champagne or Bordeaux, it kind of is. It just came to the came to the front, came to the head, like, in the last 20 years, Luke. So it probably oh, is. 20 years? Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Compared to Champagne or Bordeaux, which has been, you know, top of the pops, you know, 
for a lot longer than that. Yeah, well, Champagne got a real kick in up the uh, butt with um, the end of Prohibition and it tried to align itself as a health kick product with uh, people going to have mineral spas and mineral um, drinks because it all had bubbles in it and that's healthy. So Champagne really started to market itself as good for your health and um, a, a great cure all fantastic item in the what somewhere around the 40s i think 30s 40s yeah um maybe not 40s maybe a bit before but anyway mm. but definitely bordeaux's been you know touting itself as a a legend amongst amongst uh, a, a legend amongst uh, stars a legend amongst plebs i don't know <laughs> <laughs> For a hundred year plus, but we yeah, know what I you're trying Bo- to say. I thought Bergen, I thought uh, Brawler was a um, was in that. Category. No, not at all. I mean, uh, I mean, they've been Bordeaux, making it, but Bordeaux. the rule, the rules, the rules got finalised in the late seventies, early eighties, and it, you know, and then they've honed their skills, and it kind of came about, you know, a little bit after that. But I mean, they've been That's... making it for an eon. But um, what was it, it about the film though that got you? excited by it oh just just the, the families and the history and the tradition and how old mate's brother went across with his cousin and they started this and then they planted the vineyard but they didn't plant it down the bottom they planted it up the top and and then they pulled the cork and and just you know the color and oh just everything about it luke just it just it all just yeah just it was a massive advertisement for barola just left you <laughs> salivating to drink more but it was their, um, I guess, I was going to say, their passion for what they were doing got yeah. you enthused. It, oh, it got me more than enthused. It just it took me on a journey, which I really love. Did you do you still think about that when you because you quite love Boalo? Do you still Ooh. think about that sort of uh, that that film specifically every time you you crack into something? Or not not every time, but I, I do think about it a lot because it mentions, it mentions a lot of the famous producers from, you know, Gaia to um, Sandroni to the, the, the original families that really got around it. And, yeah, so I do. I, I do think about it. Not every time, but, yeah, whenever I, whenever we uh, pull a cork and a brawler, it does come to the front of mind, absolutely. Oh, cool. Mm. Well, I've just Googled it. It's an, it goes for an hour and four minutes. That's not that's that's not a big no, chunk yeah. out of your day. No, uh, no. It's 2014 release, and you can get it on YouTube for there you $4. Go. $4. $4. That's what that. it's going to cost you. Best money well spent. And a, a couple of other films that we've actually mentioned on this podcast before. You were talking to me one afternoon, I think back a few episodes ago now, maybe episode... 12 or 13 in this season, you were talking to me about Bottle Shock. Um, uh, well, I mentioned it. I, I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. But I, t- I saw the cover of it and I thought, Alan Rickman, oh, he's cool. <laughs> Bottle Shock was a fun, that was 08. It was kind of a, a dramatization of the 1976 Judgment of Paris when Californian wines defeated the French in a blind wine tasting. And Alan Rickman plays. Uh, one of the hoity-toity English wine journalists. I can't remember which did he play. Was it Hugh John? No, Stephen Sperrier he played. And um, 
it, it's actually quite fun. It was kind of more comedic thing than I think a drama. But yeah, Alan Rickman, Bill Pullman was in that as well. That's oh kind of fun. yes, yeah. Uh, I've spoken on this podcast before about Sour Grapes, which was the Rudy Kerwine documentary about where a fine and rare wine collector was buying wines at auction and counterfeiting them and putting them back through. It's um that that was a good that was more of a documentary rather than a film, but it kind of chronicled the excess and deception that goes on or did go on anyway in that secondary market of fine wine. That was quite fun. I'm trying to think of other films. Like obviously Bond has drank a lot of wine on screen. Yeah. Are there any other characters that would because wine presence in, in in films isn't really that. Often you see people, you know, the the Fast and the Furious team get around with their beers, but you don't see many of them having the like a cheeky rosé. I mean, that, I think a cheeky rosé would go well with some of the the the, the protein lathered steaks that they have at the end end of uh, episode barbecues. I, I do always laugh, like if you're watching a you know, whatever the current blockbuster may be or whatever, and that those people are having a glass of wine. Usually it's an American-centric film, heaven forbid. But the wine, do you ever notice the wine? It's not even rosé colour. It's like this cordial pink or salmon <laughs> colour. It's like not yeah. – it's like I always think, what is that wine? Like is it white <laughs> Zinfandel or something? Like who's <laughs> drinking that much? Like, <laughs> what are some Shiraz in the glass for you people? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, no. Someone the, the props department can't really nail the the the, the red wine colour. No, they can't. It's like they're having a bet each way because if they put a white wine glass in there, it'd be like oh, you alienate half the drinking public. And then if you put the same thing, if you put a glass of red in there, you alienate the other half. It's like oh, we'll have a bet each way. We'll put a we'll put a a funky weird colour wine in there that no one understands. <laughs> I alienate them all. <laughs> That'll stuff them. Just, just a whole audience of people going, I don't know if I like these characters or not anymore. I'm confused. <laughs> this wine's non-binary. <laughs> very, very uh, I wonder if it's something to do with marketing because you can because all beer holds a label right on the side of the bottle, so you know a beer company can sponsor that as opposed to someone holding a, a glass with a vague colour in it that's really nondescript. Oh yeah, you that, can't that, really get some that, sponsorship for brown. That is a very intelligent remark. I wonder if that's why they do it. Right in, yeah. right in, listeners. If, yeah. if you know, right in. Let us know. Yeah, I was just thinking that because every time, every time I, every time a beer's on telly, not every time, but a lot of the time they do mention, oh, and you're having a blah blah beer. And it's like, yes, I was just drinking away my sorrows. Oh, what's wrong? And then they start talking about themselves or something. You know, yeah. how dramas operate. Hmm. Slightly off topic, although wine and wine films are um, dramatic. But did you like that dramatic pause there? Um, yeah, I don't know where you're going with this. This is going to be fun. Dun, dun, dun. Back to the documentaries, the recent documentaries and phenomenon 
of the Somme and the master Somme's going through their paces oh. to become yeah. an MS. Um, th- those films, like the, I think the first one was back in 2012, which follows four or five guys and girls to pass their master Somme. Like, have you seen any of those films? No. They're, they're extru- for, for me, as someone who's not sat those exams but studied wine, they're like more stressful than Jaws was as a 10-year-old. Like, they're, they're, these <laughs> Doing films, the exam and watching the film. Yeah, watching the film. Like, oh, really? Because you're on the edge of your seat thinking, oh, will they pass? Will they pick that as Chenin Blanc instead of Sauvignon Blanc? You're more Blanc worried or... about that than a baby getting killed by a shark? Yeah, I am. <laughs> Is that what's wrong with society, Luke Morris? <laughs> oh, no, 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 certain members of society tear down the rest of it. So yes. <laughs> well, it was just a, it just it got me thinking actually when we were talking about wine films and whatever. How stressed I was when I watched that. I think there's a trilogy of them now, and I've watched all three of them. Um, it just I, I just I'm so tense by the end of it. I need a drink. Um. <laughs> If you need a drink, if you're listening, ladies and gentlemen, you need a drink, reach out, talk to a mate, get beyond blue and drink responsibly. But uh, I'm, I am joking when I say I need a drink. But they're notoriously secretive quartermaster sommeliers and you follow these guys and girls through it. It's like, oh, it's riveting. It's on the end of your seat sort of stuff. But uh, Why yeah, are it's, they secretive? It's quite stressful. Why are they secretive? Well, you know that. It's you know, like a weird thing to be secretive about. Like, well, because you like have to learn. Answer. So you can't share. I can't share my answers with you because we're both studying. So, you know, like we're um, we're both pursuing that master sommelier goal. It's quite, um, it's filled with tension and drama and, um, yeah, all the things you mentioned earlier that you need in a good show. Oh. Hmm. There's no love? Uh, no, just purely the love of wine. Purely okay. the love of wine. I was hoping that a couple of the people might find each other at the end of a glass. Hmm. Anyway. What have you been drinking, my I friend? What? Ha- oh, I know what you are going to be drinking, but yeah. what have you been drinking? No, uh, nothing. I'm, I'm, no? <laughs> that's, a, that's as boring as it can be. I've... I've um, just been saving myself. No, I've, I've got this Henschke tomorrow and, um, yeah. But what about you? Me, I'm back on uh, the Pinot Noir bandwagon. I've had a couple of great Pinots come across my desk tasting bench this week, actually. And it just it just pushed me in a direction. You know, we, we haven't quite got into the depths of winter here in the Southern Hemisphere. And it's, um, it, albeit it is chilly and getting colder, I just I was looking for a kind of red that wasn't quite red, and up popped these Pinot Noirs. And one of them actually was the In Dreams Pinot Noir from the Yarra Valley, um, and it is just delicious. In fact, and it's you know soft plush that kind of ripe red berry slash rhubarb thing going on, and just delectable. Luke Morris, all for about thirty two, thirty five bucks a bottle. Um, Drink it now, keep it for five years, share it with friends, pour it over ice cream, do whatever you do. Just just drink it, really, but it's been delicious. You would not, you are not serious about endorsing people to pour Pinot Noir over ice cream. I don't mind, Luke Morris, as long as it causes them to you drink more wine. You have a crack wine. at me almost every time I have incorrect food and wine matching. <laughs> like, and, and you're going Pinot and ice cream. Like, as long as people are drinking more wine. 
we're going to employ, be employed for longer, Luke Morris. <laughs> so true. <laughs> we don't care. Get fat and drunk. Just buy more wine. <laughs> Ice cream and Pinot. Please. And with that, ladies and gentlemen. We need to keep our jobs going. <laughs> and, and with that, get, get fat and get drunk. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. I've been Luke Campbell. You can find me on the gram and the socials at vinified underscore wine underscore services. You can find Luke Morris next to his bottle of Henschke or some other times. Where can we find you, Luke Morris? Uh, I, I reiterate, just tell some friends. I don't care. Don't follow, you. Can, you can find me. I'm a hunt. You got to. You got to hunt for me. I'm hard to catch. <laughs> I'm like one of those really rare and cool. Um, what are they called? Uh, Pez dispensers. I don't know. <laughs> Tell a Pokemon. friend. I'm like a Pokemon. Tell a friend. Tell like, a friend. <laughs> rate and review our podcast if you're enjoying it. If you're not, tell us you're not as well, and we'll change it up just for you. But, <laughs> With that, it is. It's been amazing. It has been episode nineteen in season two. We'll be back next week, and with that, see you around, Luke Morris. Bye. Bye bye. Keep smiling and bye for now. That's what you say. Yes. <laughs> Vinified are the wine cellars specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine www.finified.com.au